Well, every story you've heard about Pastor CJ and Pastor Ken and myself are true. <laughs> every one of them, and probably worse than what they've been told. Is that how you're supposed to start a service like that? I don't know. It is, anyways, it is an uh, honor to be here. Thank you, Pastor CJ, for uh, what he did. I, I told my mom this morning, uh, I said, uh, CJ bailed me out. She said, well, where were you, in jail? <laughs> I was like, possibly. But no, I, uh, I said, I, we didn't have a service for this, and I didn't tell her about it. We got at their house about 1130 last night, and so we... Uh, worked all day yesterday trying to, uh, we decided to start doing our house uh, around Christmas time. You know, we just thought to add chaos to our, to our life. Um, my wife, beautiful wife, Glenda, and our three awesome children are uh, here, and I want them to come up uh, for a, a moment. They're going to come up and share, and uh, they may sing. I don't know what the dance, I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, she's going to give you a little, also a little more information, and uh, she's good for that because I would forget. Well, we're so excited to be here in Centerton today. I'm so excited because we love your pastor's family. And I don't know if anyone is still here, but back in the day when these girls were small, we came to Centerton quite a bit. And um, the church is growing and it is exciting. And from what it sounds like, CJ just lives at this new building site and God's doing great things. What an opportunity. I'm excited to see how Centerton is going to be reached and people's lives are going to be changed because there needs to be a gospel full witness right here. And you're the people. We're excited about it. So these kids are going to tell you really quickly a little bit about themselves, maybe their name, their age, their favorite thing to do, and anything else they want to throw out there. They're kind of half asleep. Whenever you drive, we stayed at Brad's parents' house. They live in Missouri now. Anytime we drive far on Sunday mornings, by the time we get here, they're all asleep. (laughs) So I think they're still waking up. Um, uh, So I don't know what they're going to say. You never know. Hi, my name is Macy. I'm 15, and I love to draw. My name is Mia. I'm 11, and I love reading. Hi, my name is Micah, and and my hobby is collecting rocks. That's his new hobby. And how old are you, Micah? Five. Five. And what do you have on your shirt today? Razorback. Razorback. Are we are we back in Arkansas? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, you guys can have a seat. We love the fact that we're from Arkansas. And now that we're back in Arkansas and we're itinerating again for our new mission for the next few years, we're seeing Razorback stuff everywhere. So it's like my heart when we're traveling and speaking in churches is just like I get to see Razorback stuff again. And we don't see that where we're from, so it's exciting We love it. It's very cool. Well, some of you may know our story, how we went and we served in Spain and we came back and we had a lot of medical trauma with this little guy when he was born. And I had a lot of medical issues. And thank you for praying for us. If you uh, were a part of that during that season in our lives, it was very difficult for us. But the people, the churches that supported us were just bringing us before the Lord and praying for me, and it got us through. That, those were the days where when we would know we would send out a prayer request, and that very day we would feel just the strength of the Lord that we needed because it was a very hard time, and I, I suffered with PTSD for about three years, and it just totally immobilized me, and I wasn't able to leave home. 
I couldn't speak with people because I would have panic attacks. And it was something for an extrovert you would never dream could happen to you because you love being around people. But for three years, I was a prisoner because I could not function. Um, But after a season of going through some counseling and me being able to process um, my relationship with the Lord and how we sometimes suffer as human beings, I was able to change that perspective to where God was no longer to blame for what I was going through, but I was able to recognize that sometimes people in leadership over us may make decisions when you're overseas that put you in bad places. And I'm just never one to do that because I always think we don't know what's going on in people's lives, but my counselor was able to help me realize that there are times where decisions are made. Just biblically, you look through the Bible, people suffered. It's not because of God. And whenever I was able to realize, you know, God did not abandon me, but that it was part of my journey, and I was able to change that perspective. There was a day in our living room where I was just up early praying as I normally would, and everything in my body for three years had been just shaking and quaking. My intestines felt like they were always shaking, the nerves in my body. But that morning, after three years of praying and seeking God and waiting The Spirit of God entered our house, and everything in a moment was just gone. The Spirit just flooded over me, and everything was gone. All of the nervous system damage was gone, and the Lord healed me that day. And the very next day, I remember vacuuming our house for the first time in so long, and I was, like, so excited. I was screaming, saying, everybody, look at me. I can vacuum again. It was because I had not had the physical strength to do anything like that. And that Friday night, we went to a, a thing at the church, And we were the last people to leave. And that night we ran out. I had one of our kids on my back was running through the parking lot. And we got in the car and my family just sat there because they could not believe I was back. And I told them that night, I said, I am telling you, Jesus has healed me. And they were just, you know, mouths open, just quiet, like what in the world? After three years, we're starting to see you again. And so my message that I just want to share before Brad tells you about the ministry that we're doing that is so incredible is that if you're here today and you've been praying about something for a long time and you're not seeing the Lord answer, or maybe you've been going through something and you think you're never going to be healed, I want to read a short passage of scripture that I prayed and I cried out to God and I journaled pain and not understanding for so long. I just want you to know today there is hope. In Psalm 143, it says, For the enemy has pursued me, crushing me to the ground, making me live in darkness. PTSD and depression go so much side by side. And, you know, the thing is, is people who are going through depression, they don't choose to be there. You just end up there, and you don't know how to get out of it. And you're like, how does this happen to me? But you're in darkness like those long dead. My spirit is weak within me. My heart is overcome with dismay. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands, and I spread out my hands to you. I am like parched land before you. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Don't hide your face from me, or I will be like those going down. Let me experience your faithful love in the morning, for I trust in you. And if you're in a journey and you don't understand and you feel like maybe God is not hearing you, 
all I can say this morning is just keep trusting in who he is and loving him and believing in him. And there is hope. God knows. And he'll take whatever you're going through, whatever difficulty you may be facing, and he will turn that for good, and he will answer. So don't give up, but just keep trusting him, even when you don't understand. And now Brad's going to come and share with you the awesome ministry opportunity that God has given us to reach the lost people in this world who don't have a Savior, who don't know who Jesus is. And some of those countries you can't go in as a missionary, but God is using us through the, the door of technology to reach lost people. And it's exciting and it's incredible. And who would ever have thought that God could take technology and redeem it? But he is. So here's Brad. Thank you, Linda. I need that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I need that. That's my phone. Oh. <laughs> She's starting to steal already. <laughs> really quick. Um, what am I doing here? That's a good question. I can tell you real quick what exactly it is. I am involved in an amazing ministry up at in Springfield called Network 211, and I it's an honor to be up there to do uh, get to do the things that I I get to do. Well, what is that? Oh wow! Let me put it in a nutshell. Basically, I am a storyteller. I am an editor. I am a filmmaker. I, uh, what else? Let's see, I'm a fire put outer. Uh, is that such a position? I just created one. Uh, but really quick, what, is, what does network do? We're an online presence uh, where people don't have a Bible. People don't have a church. They don't have a pastor. They don't have what you guys have here. And, it's, and I, I commend Pastor CJ, Pastor Ken, and everyone on staff. They, they put it all out on the line for you. And I'm thankful for that. And you should always, and I know that you are, but always be thankful you have that. I had one lady tell me one time because we were speaking at a church, this was uh, six years ago, and I was talking about different, uh, the, the different beliefs that people have in some of these other countries. And she came up to me and said, well, if they would just read their Bible, they'd know the truth. They don't have a Bible because they're in a Muslim country. You have a Bible, you die, okay? That's kind of why they don't have those there. Well, you know what they do have? They have these. Some of them have better phone service than they do running water. Better quality cell service than they have quality of water. It's unbelievable. Why? Because it's cheaper. And it's also more available than they have the water just because of where they're at. So right now... You know, I, don't be too impressed with technology because some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, okay? That's what we do. But at the same time, 31.9 million people have come through our virtual doors when this, since this thing started in 2007. 1.5 million evangelism responses. What's that? People saying, I want to accept the Lord, or I have a prayer request, or I, I need to know more information. 30 or 1.5 million since then. And then the people that made a discipleship connection, meaning they accepted Christ, and they wanted to walk through that discipleship process. Right now, 270,830 people have entered in that discipleship process. There's one I'm going to tell you about really quickly. And this one is my favorite. It's an amazing story. We had a lady from, from Great Britain contact us, and she said, you know, uh, I don't know how I got here, but this is what happened. She said, I was on my way to go see my seer, which is a palm reader, a psychic. She was, I was going over there to talk to them, went in and sat down and began to tell them all my problems, told this, this lady who was a psychic uh, all my problems. 
And she said, finally, the, the psychic stopped her and said, wait a second. I cannot help you because apparently this lady was really messed up. She said, I cannot help you, but there is one who can, and his name is Jesus. And the lady said, who's that? She said, go home and Google him. I don't have time to spend. So she did. She went home and Googled who Jesus is. And when she typed in, who is Jesus, that she came to our site and accepted the Lord. And now, as far as I know, she is in the process of going through that discipleship program. That's amazing to me. Number one, because a psychic preached for us that morning, if you really want to think about it. Second thing, basically, you football fans, she got back there and threw up a Hail Mary, which that is the last, uh, last play of the game. They, she threw this, this pass, this desperation pass, and who caught it in the end zone? Network 21-1, and it's an honor to be able to do that, and thankful that we get to do that. Thankful I get to be a part of that ministry, and I, I create video and tell stories uh, that lead to Christ through video, and then there's information they can access and go into and learn more. So I am extremely thankful uh, to be a part of that and to, to, that they, they put up with me, but also give me the opportunity to help create. And the last thing is you guys have blessed us in, in helping us today and right now one dollar reaches 15 people with the gospel just one dollar so when you think about that uh we took our kids to mcdonald's yesterday i, I hate that thing anybody i'm sorry i apologize if that offends anybody we spent i think i got to go sell a kidney after service i mean not really but i probably don't have any <laughs> i have kidney no i'm gonna say that $29. We don't do that often. $29. Do the math on that. I don't, I can't. It's too, too early in the morning. That's saying, shut up, Brad. Okay. That was my alarm. $29. How many, okay, if a dollar reaches 15 people, uh, can't, you, you're just like this. He's got it figured out. He knows exactly what, the bunch. That's exactly it right there. That's the exact number I came up with. Is he in charge of finances? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. He should be. He should be in charge of mine. He's really good at it. But uh, really, do that. Think about how much we spend. But thank you guys for, uh, once again, for allowing us to be here. Continue to pray for us. We need that. We need that more than anything. And, Pastor, thanks you, uh, thank you once again for allowing us to come and, and have uh, part of your service. It's an honor to do that, and I love and appreciate these guys. If you have any questions, you can see me afterwards. But thank you again. Thank you, Brad and, and Glenda family. 435, by the way. <laughs> I just wanted him to sweat it out. That's 29 times 15, 435. Am I right? Somebody fact check me. No? Okay. Everybody's looking at me like strange, like you missed that part. Okay. 435, right? One times, 10 times 15 would be, I got Mark and Joe, and they were in the Air Force, so we know it's correct. <laughs> I say that because, you know, when you go take tests to get into the different armed forces, you got to be the smartest to get in the Air Force. Next is Navy. Well, I better stop there because I don't know how many Marines I have in here, and they usually can kick your tail, so we'll just stop. All right. Hey, I want to, before I get into the message, and we're going to take offering at the end and give you an opportunity to give uh, towards uh, the mission that Brad and Glenda have been called to. 
And so uh, just prepare your hearts and be uh, thinking about what the Lord would speak to your heart about giving towards that, as well as a rather regular tithe and offering. But next Sunday evening, you know, we had to cancel last Sunday's service because the roads were slick enough. We just didn't want to take any chances. Um, our mayor was saying, hey, look, if you don't have to get out, you probably shouldn't because uh, quite, quite a few bad accidents. So uh, we had the annual uh, business meeting. And as, as I've announced, we're changing what we call that to the annual harvest celebration. And the reason for that is for the last four years, out of, out of the almost 10 years that New Song's been in existence, we've seen an increase in the harvest. Souls saved, uh, numbers of people who are becoming part of New Song, and we've also seen in the finances. And so we believe instead of just calling it a mundane business meeting, that we're going to start calling it our annual harvest celebration. 4.30 p.m. next Sunday evening, please come. Even if you're not a partner, if you're familiar with other church organizations that call their uh, membership members, we call our folks partners because we believe that by the time you uh, are a new song, about six months or so, God should start speaking to your heart and say, is this your home or not? And if it is, then what has God called you here to do? And we need partners in ministry. So even if you're not a partner, uh, if you're interested in being one, uh, see me after service. But next Sunday night, everyone can attend, but especially partners. We need you because our Constitution bylaws say we cannot hold the meeting unless we've had at least a, a third of our partners there to have a quorum. Now, I've contacted every partner, and it sounds like next Sunday, uh, everyone, most everyone's available. But we are voting on some items that are very important. Number one, we're looking at adding two advisory team members. Uh, Belinda, if you can raise your hand. Belinda Thomas and Ken Ferguson. Ken's dad is also an advisory team member, and we're, we're very cautious about how many family members we would have on our church board or advisory team. So uh, we were mainly waiting to the right moment when God had led us to, uh, to have the right number of people so that it, it's outnumbered. I'm kind of rambling here, Let me, because I know I've got a lot I want to cover in the message. But the main thing to know is that uh, the advisory team helps, number one, keep me accountable, and number two, helps steer the ship God's given us to navigate. And um, I, the way our Constitution bylaws are set up is I basically, through prayer and with the help of the current advisory team, we select, we select advisory team members. But to protect that from bege becoming a good old boys club, or now good old boys and lady club, um, we have the, the church uh, partners ratify that. It has to be done by majority vote. So uh, make sure that you're here next week, especially partners, we're also voting to change a few things on how we accept partners. If uh, a missionary were to come off the field and they haven't been able to be a member at a church somewhere, but they've been serving faithfully, then we'd look at shortening that six months or, or negating that and, and make some exceptions. Also, someone who comes from another uh, affiliated church where they've been a member there, long, a long-standing member. And we're looking at changing that to be able to work a little bit around that six months. We feel like it's not fair somebody who's been serving faithful in ministry somewhere else to come here know right away God has called them here to be here if it resonates with with our hearts to not just allow them to become a partner a little sooner so we're looking at those changes so make sure you're here 4 30 and it lasts till 6 and we will have a good time uh, just a little update on the building uh, project we're we're still plugging along I'm, I'm trying to get some final dates from the uh, electrician on when we can start insulation and drywall Basically, they'll be the last ones out of there um, before insulation drywall happens. So we're hoping within two weeks uh, that we could be doing insulation and drywall. 
and uh, it sounds reasonable. They're they're starting to get a little more help over there, so we're hoping that will happen. Yesterday, John McCormick, from uh, he is a believer, and he works for um, Metal Central, where we got our roofing. He came out to help me get some more trim on the roof, and so we're working through that. But it's going great, and some of you have offered to help, and I know that's been like three weeks ago, <laughs> four weeks ago. I told Jen, I said, I almost need help getting help. I almost need help from someone to help me transition the things I need over to those who are offering help. So I'm not forgetting it. I'm not unappreciative. Just uh, like I said in the beginning, be patient with me as I'm trying to let you help me. <laughs> so uh, we're getting there. All right. <clears throat> well, I want to get into the message today. And, uh, you know, God has taken us on so many journeys through sermon series and, and things we've done. And as you know, I've been using a little bit uh, from a, a preacher who is well known, but I don't use a lot. And that's Robert Morris with Gateway Church. Uh, Ken and I were talking before service. Some of you know that I lived through the 80s and 90s with some of the big uh, failures of TV evangelists. And so uh, I'm a little bit on the cautious side when I mention names of, of famous preachers. My belief is unless I walk life with someone and know them and I have some accountability with them, I can't really just attest to their ministry. But that being said, even some of those great evangelists have felt when they spoke the word of God, God could still use that word to the people. It still can be true. But what they are doing in their private life can sometimes not reflect that. So we don't negate the words sometimes that are spoken because if it's God's word and it's true, then it's still true. And so what I have found in studying of Robert Morris, as far as I know of him, a great minister, and we've used some of his. Now I'm mixing it up, though, because the series I've been using from him has been about what? The Holy Spirit, about speaking in tongues, the, the big red flag to a lot of denominations when that comes up. So it would seem like I just keep on that. But with Valentine's being Wednesday, I begin to think about Valentine's. And then also I've been thinking about the keys to what we're seeking here. What we've been seeking is a, a true move of God, a, a spiritual awakening. Not a revival, because I believe that many churches, there are people in those churches that have never experienced a real move of God before. So you can't revive something that's never happened. You can't revive something that never came alive, right? But a spiritual awakening says, hey, listen, as a church body, we want to experience God in such a way like we've never before. And listen, whether you have been raised in church or not, whether you've been faithful in church, it's not about that. What I want to get down to the nitty gritty is just like I had to myself being raised in church, I had to ask myself eventually, is there a God? Is he real? Is the word of God true? And if so, am I experiencing everything that I should be? Am I being held back by church? And am I being held back by my own beliefs? Am I being held back by things? But, but what will it take to have a true spiritual awakening? And so we talked about the fact that, that there's really three baptisms. That when we looked at the word of God, there's a baptism into the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit first convicts you, correct? Would anybody agree that, that the scripture teaches us that when someone is in sin, the Holy Spirit convicts them of that sin and introduces them to Jesus and then wants to baptize you into salvation into the body of Christ? I won't go through it. We don't have time for a full review, but, but scripture tells us that we are actually baptized into the body. Then Jesus, as he did before John the Baptist, said you should be baptized in water. And the purpose of that was this outward symbol to everyone. I made this I made this inward commitment, but I need everyone's help to disciple me, and I need to make sure it's known, 
and I need to give that testimony and I'm going to identify with Christ by being immersed in water as, I, as Christ was buried. I'm going to raise again as Christ rose again a new creation and leave the old man behind. But then a third baptism. But then we see, like Paul did when he came up on some believers who had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, he said, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit since you believed? Since you believed? Baptized in the Holy Spirit. That means now Jesus wants to introduce you to a new work where he baptized you in the Holy Spirit. And the purpose is, like in the book of Acts, to be endowed with power to go out and make disciples. Instead of the disciples cowering and hiding, afraid they were going to be crucified like Christ, now all of a sudden they don't care if you boil them in oil. They'll die before they'll quit preaching. So, so that, was, that was the case study and the proof out that there was those three baptisms, that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking tongue is real. But listen, the components to get there, how do we experience God? Well, number one, we talked about prayer, the communication, right? On Wednesday nights, we've been focused on prayer, interceding, where, where it's like an intersection, where our will and God's will comes in alignment through, through prayer, and we begin to intercede. Then we talked about uh, fasting, a life of submission, not permission, where we give up things for the cause of Christ. We get closer to God because those things that tend to get in our way between us and God. You know, it's like the rich young ruler. He could obey all the commandments of God, but when he's asked to give up all the stuff, there was something blocking him from drawing fully unto the Lord and following Christ. And, and so prayer and fasting, the giving up of things. But then worship. And this is where we're going to land today. Worship. But what is worship? I've mentioned that I have never myself witnessed or heard of anyone being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking tongues where they didn't first start praying out loud and speaking out loud to the Lord. I, I've never heard of it. Maybe you have, but, but I've said that if you, wanna, if you want to, to have that gift, you're eventually going to have to uh, release your will to open your mouth and let the words that the Holy Spirit wants to pray through you come out. All right, so let's get into worship. What is worship? If you want to turn in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 1 and verses 13. Deuteronomy 11, verses 1 and 13. Now, if you also want to put a thumb in Genesis 4, or put something in there, not your thumb, and it goes to sleep, because that's going to be at the very end when we get to Genesis 4. Sorry, I'm drinking water in front of you here, but I too much coffee lately. I'm dehydrated. Let me let me mention to you, and as I said, um, and borrowing one of Robert Morse's um, series, he probably wouldn't understand. Uh, well, he would understand, but uh, the thing is crazy. But I'm sliding something completely different in here into his, into his series. But we were born to worship. We were born to worship. You were created to be a worshiper. It's actually natural for you to worship. Did you know that? It's natural. You're like, oh, I don't know. I come in here and it's like I just see people raising their hands and I see people, I see Pastor CJ that can't stay still and he's an awful big guy to be moving. I can't see the words because of him because he does this the whole time. Need bigger screens. We're getting that. So, but we're born to worship. So it's not a matter whether you will worship. It's more a matter of who or what you will worship. Worship isn't just singing. Although in our church culture, we've made it about just singing. 
People can sing and not worship. And I have been in the congregation and not pastor at this church. And unfortunately, I have witnessed where I believe people are just singing and not worshiping. It may not be your style of worship, and so you, you pull out. It may not be the tone or level, so we pull out. It may not be what we like, so we pull out emotionally. We have sung a song that was meant to worship God, yet our thoughts and our heart were somewhere else, and that's not worship. Worship's not just exalting God. And, and here's some case study and some proof from God's word um, that we won't go, in, at this point, we won't go into specific texts because of time, but I'm going to tell you that if you did a study on exalting God, God created angels to exalt him. Now, we can exalt him, but, but exalting God does not in, in have to in, uh, be worship. It can be a task. We know that there are angels around the throne that forever and ever call holy, 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 so Lord God. That is their job. That is their, their role. We know from Scripture that they weren't given, angels weren't given the free will and the ability to have the relationship we have. So if it's not love, it's, if it's not a relationship, then it's a job, right? It's a task, a role. I'm not taken away from the beauty of it because we think work is not beautiful. God created work to be beautiful. It's just sin caused it to be hard and stink and have to do it to feed ourselves. But God created the angels to exalt him. And there are indications from Scripture that there are more than angels than we could probably ever count. Numerous, numerous angels. So God has that covered on the exalting. So just exalting God is not the definition of worship either. Exalting means to raise up or put into high place to, to by, your, by your actions to, to, to identify, not to put in a high place, but identify the high place that God is. But we're going to focus on just two words that define what worship is. Worship is love communicated. Love communicated. If you look at the word communicated, and you can also look at a synonym of it, commune, we talked about community. We had like a three-month series on not just being a crowd, but a community. That you can't just expect to come to church, sit in the pew, not meet or know anyone, walk out and come back doing it over and over, and really, truly get everything out of what God designed the church to be. Church was meant to be a community. You can't just walk in and somebody say, hi, how are you doing? Fine, when things aren't fine. And them not detect that things aren't fine and expect that that's the kind of relationship God intended for you in the church body. So commune, to communicate to, if you look at the definition of commune, it's, it's to really come together to be able to share feelings and thoughts. A commune, which has some negative connotations sometimes, but a commune. It really is for people to be able to be there for what purpose? To shelter from the kinds of communication they don't want and be able to share only communication they do want. To communicate. And so worship is love communicated. To to really commune with God. Communion is, is to remember what, what Jesus did on the cross, what he communicated to us, right? So if it's love and it's not communicated, it's not worship. Now, I've mentioned this before. You go to any non-Christian rock concert, and what do you see happening physically from the people there? If I had a lighter, right? <laughs> Right? 
I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? I won't do the rest because that's 260 pounds moving in an inappropriate way in church. But, <laughs> but you go to concert, people worship. You are made to worship. You will worship. Country music, whatever it is, your favorite TV show, the WWE, uh, whatever, who is famous now. You know, you will worship and you will through your life. And you may think you're immune and I'm my own man and I don't worship anybody or anything you do. You're created to. You will put that worship somewhere. You will place it somewhere. It's just a matter of what are you placing on. You, you can make your own house your thing of worship. If it's more important than God, if you'd rather be with Pastor Pillow and Sister Sheets on service times than there, then you have placed that before God because he has called us to assemble. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as some people are in the habit of doing. So worship is when we communicate our love to God. And consequently, if you communicate something and it's not love, it's not worship. So if it's love and it's not communicated, it's not worship. And if you communicate something and it's not love, it's not worship. Getting amens from outside from the, from the four-legged friends. You can't hear the dog barking. So worship is about love. And that's what love is about. Worship is more than simply, as I said, exalting God. Worship is love communicated. Now, Valentine's Day was Wednesday, and um, I, I was looking through Facebook and expecting all the mush and all that stuff. Now, when you're a pastor and Valentine's lands on a Wednesday and you have Wednesday service, your Valentine's Day is not w that day. And, and I think I had a free pass to not do the full thing on valentine's day other than you know happy valentine's day and some of you saw the video i put on facebook i'm sorry it was one of those where your heads are on different bodies and doing <laughs> anyway so but that's love in fact nathan do you have do you don't have okay so and jen said i couldn't show the video in service for an example but you know it's expressing we express our love right in different ways and valentine's day is a day when if you don't express it you're in trouble if you don't communicate your love on Valentine's Day, right? And, and, and so I saw this picture on Facebook that one of my uh, military friends had posted of a guy standing in the Valentine's aisle at 8 o'clock at night on Wednesday, and nobody else is there, and the guy's got his head down, and he's looking at flowers, and he captioned it and said, Buddy, it's too late. You're already in trouble. At 8 p.m. on Valentine's night, you've already messed up. And, and isn't, that kind of, isn't that somewhat the truth, that even expressing it too late shows sometimes the lack of good intention, the lack of real love. And so it really is. Love is all about communicating. How you communicate, it matters. You know, those videos I put on myself, they had some level of embarrassment to me, but it was to express, to communicate my love to Jen, and so she got a kick out of it because it made me look silly. And as much aggravation as I get her, that shows love that I would make myself something to laugh at. What, what is it that makes, what, what is it that made the most memorable Valentine for you? Can you think of something from your, your uh, spouse or from a loved one, someone, you know, those of you who are single, maybe, maybe a parent or a friend on Valentine's Day gave you something that just was so memorable? There's two things I want you to always remember about worship. And the first thing to rem remember is what we've expressed. Worship is love. Do you know that God actually commands us to love him? And that doesn't sound so great, does it? We're commanded to love him. I didn't say he forces you to. I didn't say he turns on the autopilot and makes you. 
but he commands you to. And the reason is it's for our own good. I mean, we have free will, so, so God must command us to love him because we have a choice. And he knows that if we don't love him, we will love something else. And there is nothing good apart from God. What I'm saying is the path that that will lead you down, if you're loving something other than God, it will cause destruction. So God commands us to love him. He created this strategically, and we see it exemplified in the marriage relationship. You know, I mentioned before, the lesson my mom taught me, that you don't fall in and out of love. People said, oh, I fell in love, or I fell out of love. You don't fall in or out because love is an action. It's a commitment. You make a decision to love. Love may have emotions and feelings attached to it, but love is a decision. You make the decision whether to love or not. You have to make a choice of love. So the reason God can command you love is, is you have a choice, and he does it because you need to love him to function as he created you to. Deuteronomy 11, 1 and 13 says this. You shall, using shall, like in the commandments, thou shalt love your neighbor. Thou shalt not kill. You shall therefore love your Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And you skip down to verse 13. And if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then, then if we look at Matthew chapter 22 and verses 35 through 38 in the 22 cha 22nd chapter of Matthew, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Talking about Jesus. Teacher, which is the great, greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love, you shall, man, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The point is, he asked Jesus what the greatest commandment is and he said you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind he actually not only commanded you to do it but he gave you the ability to do it how do you love god the way god wants you to because at salvation he gives you a brand new heart talks about in scripture that we are born again that, that the old person is dead and gone. And those old ways that would prohibit you from loving God the way you should are now gone. And you've really, spiritually, had a heart transplant to where he's now given you the ability to love him. And that's why, as a Christian, especially new Christians when it's fresh, it feels so easy to love people that seem so unlovable before. It, it feels like you can love the whole world all of a sudden. Look at this verse. Because we're, we're not really talking about our physical heart that pumps the blood, the flesh and blood. We're talking about uh, what the scripture talks about, our heart. It, it's the origin of all our emotion and devotion. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. That you may live. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart 
and the heart of your offspring. Not just you, but, but when you totally love God with all your heart, when you commit, like in the marriage relationship, you make a decision, I'm going to love God with everything I am, then listen, statistics actually have proven that if the, the patriarch of the family, the husband or the dad, the grandfather, when they come to the Lord, there is a higher percentage of the family that comes to the Lord after them than if the mom does or a daughter or anyone else in the family. There's a certain person I know, and I'm, I'm just going to leave their name out of it, but here this morning, that came down the altar with me one time and said, I want to be the spiritual leader of my home. And that got my heart. Because the Lord desires, you men especially, and when there's not a man in the home, then whoever is that leader, called to be that leader of the home, God has called you to lead them spiritually. And so when that love and that commitment is made by that person who is seen as the leader of the home, it has a trickle-down effect. It affects the decisions of those below. This morning, so we had this little uh, event last night where the kids were told they had to go to bed a little early because we seemed to be dragging feet on Sundays and they took a long time and it ended up being later and this morning they're dragging, right? And so I'm hearing Jen as I'm getting ready. Gotta get out of bed, kids. Gotta get out of bed. And, you know, they're with her a lot because she homeschools them, right? They hear that voice all the time. But they recognize how our home is designed. They recognize that that not to be a, a authoritarian, just to be a dictator, but I'm, I'm the leader of the home. And I'd heard that three or four times, and I said, kids, your mom said it three times out of bed. And right? God's created that, to be that way in the family unit. Because it's for their own good. Because we've come to worship the Lord together, and we want to do it together as a family, and we don't want to be disjointed and showing up at different times and me, I'm taking a different vehicle. I, some families could do that. Say, well, I give up on y'all. I'm just going to get in the truck and go to the church, right? Can't wait on y'all, right? And it may, may happen. We're not perfect, right? I'm seeing some looks, so I'm just trying to give you a little out here, right? <laughs> or, or step into the role God told me, uh, told me I'm supposed to be and say, kids, immediately, I don't care if you have to take your clothes and get in the car and put them on in the car. In the car now, we're going to church as a family. I do it because I don't like them? No. I love them with all my heart, soul, everything. I love my family. And I plan to be with them in eternity. And I will lead them there if it kills me. I will lead them there. And men, eternity is a long time to be without someone you love or to know they didn't make it. Stand strong. Be courageous. It's a fad right now to grow beards to show your man. No, the man is in the heart. And the man can look into the eyes of his family and his kids and they can know when the sincerity of their heart is, I want to lead you to Jesus. And I may mess up big and I may have to apologize when I mess up, but I love you and we're going to go together hand in hand and we're going to walk through that throne. Maybe at different times, who knows? The way I'm falling off of roofs and stuff, probably sooner for me, but... <laughs> That's why we got an insurance policy on me for my family, and I got one for the church, so you guys are clear. Jesus can take me any time. We're, we're made whole. All right. Love is a choice. God commands us to love him, yet he provides us the ability to love and serve him when we receive the gift of salvation. The greatest thing we can do is love God. You ever observe someone that seems to love God more than you and you have that little bit of jealousy? You know, 
man, it just seems like they really love God. And, and you just feel like there's some kind of level there that you're, you're below, right? You feel that. Let me, let me maybe shed some light on, on what can happen with love that gives you that feeling. Love lives or dies. You don't fall in love or fall out of love. In other words, uh, you know, I didn't fall in love with Jen. I made the decision to love her, but I can kill that love if I choose to. Or I can cause that love to grow and to nourish it and to flourish in it for it to grow. Your heart is full of love, but it can flatline. If you abuse it or don't feed it or care for it, you know, when you have a dog and you have young kids and you have that conversation about this is your responsibility to feed that dog and then you have that conversation every day for the rest of the life of that dog, however long that you're successful in convincing them to feed it is how long that life lasts. But, but as you're doing that, right? And so you have to use analogies like, well, I fed them once today. Well, do you want to just eat once today? You know, w- would you like that? We cause things to live. God has given us control over this earth and the animals. We know that from the Genesis account that when he created this, we are given charge over this earth that we can cause things to live or die, that we have control over. And men and those who are leading a household or you have relationships in your charge, you cause them to live or die by your words, your actions, everything you do. You're causing them to live or die. You can speak, the word of God says, you can speak life or death by the power of your tongue. I have watched families where the kids have been berated and talked down to and just never could do anything right over and over again. And you watch that kid begin to either stutter or cause other things in their life or low self-esteem, sometimes suicide because of the effects of the tongue from someone who is meant to be the leader of love over them. The tongue is powerful and love can be, we can cause it to live and grow or die. An example of that God's given us in marriage, standing there at the altar, you say for better or for, for better or for, you're getting the answer right, I'm just waiting until everybody does it, for better or for, right. But when it gets worse, you get mad, right? And when you get mad, what happens? Momentarily, you throw that love in a dungeon and wait and see if it survives, Right? Okay, you think I'm speaking figuratively. Let me give you some real-life examples. Who gives the silent treatment when you're mad at your spouse? Oh, see, Joe, thank you, and I called you out, I'm sorry. But I was just so thankful to see someone interact with me and be honest. So who gives the silent treatment? Who gives the silent treatment? There we go. You're in it together. All right. Who, who will actually get in the car and leave the situation for a while. Get over it. <laughs> I have before. Don't anymore have before. At least for two years. I haven't. See, the thing is, we already know that love is all about communicating, right? A commune. It's, it's revolving around how we communicate. God, God designed us to communicate with us, communicate with him through, through worship. He doesn't need us to exalt him, although we are supposed to. He has angels for that, but he wants communication with us and love to be communicated. And what do we do first when we get mad? Shut off the flow for the love by shutting off the communication. See, that's the sin nature. It's not how Jesus would have us handle those arguments. What do we default to when we have a weak moment? Sin nature. What does sin nature cause us to do? Cut off communication. Lie, not communicate, divert, 
everything we can to keep from just being honest and open and say, this is what my heart has been doing. I'm sorry. Help me because I love you and I want us to keep this relationship. And when we repent, that's the communication of love to God. I've been wrong. I've shut off communication with you, God. I've been away from you, and now I need you. And that is the form of worship. Love communicated is worship. Not just that little bit of time with the songs. And that's why when we get so wound up about, about what we sing or what we do and everything, it's because we forgot the purpose and the meaning of worship. It's, it's not about the songs or the words. It's about what's happening in your heart when you speak to God. It's about the communication. Are you turning on and off because of, of finicky things? Or are you giving it to him because you made a decision, a commitment, like the marriage? I will love you. I will love you to the end of time. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm there. You cannot run and hide. I will find you. I will stalk you. You will have to get a restraining order. You know, we got this weird Cupid thing going on, and, and where did that come from? This thing that should be a cute baby body, but they stick this ugly Greek woman head on there with a perm, right? And then put a bow and arrow with, you know, like that's going to reflect love, getting pierced with some sharp object. Ooh, I got shot by Cupid's arrow. That ugly, scary, demon-looking thing. <laughs> it's like you take the statue David, right? Pull the head off. You take the cute little dancing baby body and... I mean, it's a freaky thing. <laughs> and that's how the world wants to express what love is, how to communicate love. Let me tell you about the real arrows, though. The enemy is prepared with arrows to shoot at love. When we look at Ephesians 6 and it talks about put on the whole armor of God, right, and the shield of faith, what's the shield of faith for? It's to deflect the fiery darts that the enemy would shoot at the love. You know, look, I'm going to tell you a little bit, and without trying to embarrass my dad, but you know how much they have been through with me over the time? My dad had to one time tell me, say, this is my house, son. If you don't want to do it, you can leave. And by the way, you need to leave the car keys because you're not paying your own insurance. See, it was sounding real good before when I had a cool car. I'm like, yeah, i just go cruise for a long time until I didn't have the car and then I have to walk. And as a teenager, you're like, well, that's no fun. <laughs> I think I'll just submit. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get past this. But, but listen, as a father... Let me tell you how much it breaks your heart when your kids disobey God. Because all you want as a believer, as a, as a dad, as a husband, is to lead your family to God. Every decision you make, every tough one, every time you seem like a bear, everything you do is all about leading them to God. And it's all about love. It's communicating love. As the child of God, as the, as the underling, it sometimes seems harsh and it seems wrong and it seems like you're just being this way or that way. But listen, that's because probably in, not God, but in our human fatherness, we've been the teenager. We've made the mistakes. We know what it did to our lives. We knew the, how long it took to get rid of that junk and how we came full circle, but it just was a lot of waste of time. And if we can save you that time, it's just love. And then you break down just to what makes you to be a person of honor and integrity? My dad provided every meal for me by hard work, 60 and 70 and 80 hour weeks as a pastor. Missed out on time with family, doing stuff for other people to feed me, to clothe me. To be a man of integrity, that's hard. And for me to throw it back in the face and say, and communicate back, no thanks. This is a prodigal son, Right? Sell your inheritance short. All that hard work, just shortcut it. I don't appreciate it. See, I can cause love to die, 
Now, a father like my dad would probably never quit loving me, no matter how hard I tried. But listen, don't tempt the waters. And don't tempt the waters with your Heavenly Father trying to cut off that communication. Worship is about love. Here's the second thing about love. Love, as it gives, it grows. As it lives, it grows. And children, example, you love that child and you think you can never love them more than when they're born. But doesn't the love actually grow? It's like it grows, it matures. It, it, it comes up with them. And, and it's just it's neat how it flourishes. But the second thing I want you to remember about worship. Okay, so first, and, and I'm going to do this in closing. First, as you remember about worship, worship is love. But here's the second thing about worship, and we mentioned it, is worship is communicated. And now I want to get to Genesis 4, like I told you, to hold on. Genesis chapter 4, verses 25 through 26. And I'm going to do this shortly because I have a lot more, but listen. Here's an interesting thing, Genesis 4, 25 through 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Enosh was Adam and Eve's grand, grandson, right? But listen to this. Watch what the next verse says. It says, and at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's odd all of a sudden. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Why was, it, why was it mentioned at that time people began to call on the Lord? Now keep in mind, Enosh lived 900 years. Back then, they lived 900 years. So this wasn't a short period of time, right? And so why did people all of a sudden start calling on the name of the Lord? When you look through the account up to that point, God initiated all the conversation. People didn't have to go to God. God walked and talked with Adam and Eve every day in the garden, right? He initiated the conversation. And, and so you look at this. When, when God has to actually bring punishment, he's initiating. He says, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree? Where's your brother, Cain? He initiated. But, but here's something interesting. All of a sudden, with Enosh's time, here's when people finally have to start petitioning the throne and going to God. Because love, not communicated, is not worship. And communication without love is not worship. And when, because of the fall and because of all this mess, it came to a point that Adam and Eve had to be banished from the garden, right? And Cain had to be caused to go out from God's presence. Sin will separate you from communicating love to God, and that's worship. So listen, if you're allowing sin to be in your life and you know it's there and you're not doing anything about it and then you come in and try to sing songs and you think, well, I did worship today. No, you didn't. Because you can't, you can't worship unless you're communicating love to God. The whole story between us and God is the ultimate love story. So what are you communicating? Is it love? What are you loving? Is a communication with God. Jen, could I have you come up here for a minute and just. You know, I'm thankful that after 13 years of marriage, this happens pretty naturally when we walk around. I'm not saying this bragging, I'm just saying, and I still feel an immediate warm sensation up my arm. I just did just now. Now, I will say, she, she'll even tell you this, that when I think of jalapenos, my mouth also waters because I like spicy stuff. So, you know, we are made to have these physiological reactions to emotions, right? 
I have this love for food, but not the same kind of love I have for Jen. And when, when I, when I want to hug, I put my arms out, right? Sometimes I sneak up behind her, but usually I put my arms up, right? And, and when, when we express our love to each other, when we communicate our love to each other, there's usually action involved. You know what I, thank you, baby. You know why I challenge you during worship to not stand there like a bump on a log and just stare forward and move your mouth? The worship team's going to love this. They just get a lot out of this right here. So they're going to amen all over the place right now. But, but listen, because it's hard for them to stand up there and look at faces that are doing this when, when they're prepared and prayed. And so listen, is it because it gives us some kind of jollies that you move your hands or do anything that you think you're not comfortable with? No. What I'm trying to teach you to do, and this is what the worship team, we're actually on a journey right now. Ken will tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm being very intentional in what everything we do. And, and, and everything we do in worship will be teaching you something. And we're moving that direction where everything and every service is about teaching you about God, to experience God, to have your life changed. And listen, the reason I tell you that you need to put your hands out or do something and express is because as long as you hold that back and say, no, nope, this is good, you're holding back your expression of love. Some way, some form. I'm not telling you how to be raised hands, but as long as you resist, just because, and here's the thing, when I was in the pews, as a teenager and all, if the pastor told me, for the next 10 minutes, I want you to raise your hands, I got defiant in my head. But where did that come from? Was that so hard? If the police pull me over looking like this on my motorcycle and say, raise your hands, guess what happens immediately? <laughs> right? Because there's a threat of something. Why is the threat of not expressing your love to God not enough to cause some reaction? Rock concert, you'll do it so quickly, and those people have no, they, they, won't come, they won't come visit you when you're sick. They won't love you. They love your dollars you spend on the tickets to get in, and they want you to go home and not talk to them again. Definitely don't come backstage trying to get an autograph, right? But you'll express love and worship, communicate your love to people who have no influence in your life other than you like their song. So I'm telling you, worship is serious. Because it's how we're communicating our love to God. And when we come into this place and have the opportunity together where we have a support group, we have a support group who wants us to all worship, and you hold back from God, it's you that's paying the price because it's your relationship with God. I don't control your relationship with God. I can't make you have a relationship with God. You could leave this church and go to another church, and I have no influence over you at that point. So it's not about me and you, it's about you and God. Why would you hold back from the creator of the universe who's created you, who if sin hadn't happened, you'd still be walking in the garden with Adam and Eve and all the rest, and just he created it to be bliss. It's not his fault. It's man's fault. No, it's Satan's fault. No, it's man's fault. Man's the reason for all. We had the decision to make whether to love or not. Man had the decision whether to stay faithful or not. We broke the marriage covenant. Why wasn't Adam? Why wasn't Eve? It don't matter. We are seed from and we are having to pay the cost for, for Satan being allowed to have some reign in our lives. So my challenge to you is this. Remember I challenge you that we are going to do for 30 days before you eat, or if you're fasting, before you fast that meal, that you'd read God's word to the point that after we've done this as a habit, that literally physiologically we would start to feel hungry for God's word when we actually got hungry for food. 
So how are you holding up on that? That was challenge one. Two, if you feel led to fast, we talked about fasting, that you would fast because some things only happen by prayer and fasting. You may have things in your life that need to be, be extricated and they're only going to be extricated if you fast. And now we're talking about worship. We talked about the, the, the way the Spirit works in your life, but we're talking about worship and how love is communicated. So my, my challenge to you is this. Get active in your expression of love to God through worship. Whether you're in your car looking like a fool going down the road, waving your hands in the air, or at least one, unless you're not driving them both, or in service or whatever it is, or you just come down and kneel or you do something. But I'm going to challenge you, listen, this isn't just some kind of spiritual exercise. I'm telling you that something will happen in your life when you make the decision, I'm no longer going to rebel against what God may want to do in my life. I will no longer hold back, squash, or any way hinder anything God could do. And if it takes me doing something that I don't feel it, because we can't always trust our feelings to know what's good for us, right? It's like the kid that wants to touch the hot stove. It's pretty, it's red, it's glowing. Not good for you. Sometimes we have to just experience things for ourselves. And so you can't trust your feelings and say, well, I don't feel like raising my hands. I don't feel like going to the altar. I don't feel like doing this. You know why you don't feel it? Because you're holding back and the feelings come when the love is expressed and communicated. And listen, the longer I have been married to my wife and the more work we put into expressing our love for each other, the sweeter it gets. But again, if I say that I love you at the altar and never said it again, I can kill that love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, today for what you're doing amongst us and in this service. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have charged up, Lord, uh, your word and handed it over, ready for us, God, to, to make a decision. That God, we're called right now. We have heard truth from your word, and now it's up to us to make the decision. Will we decide to love you with everything we got, all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our spirit, everything? Are we all in? Are we going to communicate our love openly to you? Causing it to, to live and to grow? Or are we going to squash it? Are we going to hold back? Are we going to let it start to die and let that part of our life die out? Leaving us on our own with Satan in control to do what he wants. With every head bowed and eye closed, and I don't do this because I'm worried about um, embarrassing one. God's word says, if you're embarrassed in front of me, I'll be embarrassed in front of you, Jesus says, in front of the Father. And so this is only because I don't want distractions as you make an important decision. If you're here this morning and you need to make a commitment to follow Jesus, and it doesn't matter if you have in the past, but if you didn't follow through, or this is the first time, but this morning you need to make a decision. I want to be loved and love Him. I want to be loved by Him and I want to love Him in relationship, in communion with Him. I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I want, I want to have the Lord Jesus as my Lord and Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords, in charge of my life, leading me and guiding me. I want relationship with Him. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. If you raise your hand, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, take control of my life, Lord. I know I still have free will, and I know I still have to make the decision to love you. But God, I give you free reign to love me and to, to uh, guide me and to grow this love in me for you. Be my Lord and Savior.
If you're here this morning and say, I've, I've held back in worship, just with every head bowed and eye closed, I've held back in worship. And I am making a declaration right now by raising my hand that I will no longer hold back. I will no longer let there be anything that keeps me from expressing my love, communicating my love to God fully, wholly, devoted to Him. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. to you, Lord, today that I will not hold back in any way, shape, or form. That, Lord, if you if you prompt me to raise my hands, Lord, even if I have to raise my hands because I don't feel anything, but I will commit to expressing and fully communicate my love to you every chance I get.